Welcome back to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. First question, who are you and what do you do? Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Kyle Lacey. I'm currently SVP of marketing at Seismic. I've had the pleasure of serving marketing teams at Exact Target, Salesforce, OpenView Venture Partners, Lessonly, and now Seismic. Um, previously, most recently, I was CMO at Lessonly. We were acquired by Seismic in August of 2021, and uh, now I run marketing for Seismic. So first off, I'm a father of two. I'm a history buff, husband to one, and uh, I've been in marketing for um, 15, 16 years. Yeah, your track record is quite, uh, at least from LinkedIn, it's quite extensive and impressive. <laughs> LinkedIn so. makes it look so much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. But uh, I I think um, we'll get into a lot of your story and kind of maybe lessons learned. Uh, but one of the questions I enjoy to start off with and just let it see where it takes us is what have you been obsessed with now, most likely in that business marketing realm, but what have you been obsessed with lately? Like, what are some things you can't stop geeking out about? You're out to dinner and you just pull up, you know, this, start talking about this. Like, does anything come to your mind of obsessions for you? Yeah, it's been the same obsession for me forever. I mean, I remember it started when I read a book in college called Emotional Branding by Mark Dobay, and I'm probably butchering his last name, but uh, it's all about the experience. It's all about the experience you have with a product, the experience you have when you touch a Coke bottle, the experience you have when you come to a website, when you walk into a restaurant, when you drive a car. Um, I am. I will forever be obsessed with experiences. I will always think about them. I will get pissed off when I don't think it's a great experience. And uh, I, I try as much as possible to talk to the team, any team that I'm leading or I'm a part of, that experience is, is, is everything. It's, the experience is the best story you can tell. So um, examples are if you walk into a restaurant and you're not greeted appropriately, bad experience. If you go to a website and you can't click a phone number to call somebody, bad experience. Really depends on a multitude of different things, but that's what I'm, I've always been obsessed with that always. And now how do you define experience? Cause I'm going to guess that that is a large word that kind of goes past marketing. Cause obviously marketing isn't the greeter per se, but bad experience. So like, how do you define experience or at least like, what are some parameters that you use to think better about experience? It's the, it's the set of interactions that a, person has with a with a brand or a company and experience and it also can be experiences that you have with another individual so an experience like i kind of listed a couple experiences but it's any touch point that happens across the entire journey whether i'm searching for a piece of software i'm using yelp to search for a restaurant in montreal or whatever whatever i'm doing it's it is the combination of those touch points and you you will either have a great experience or you will have a mediocre experience or you will have a terrible experience and i would argue that mediocre experiences are just as bad as terrible hmm. yeah if it's kind of a vanilla experience you don't remember it it's not no, something that stands out yep. so who who owns experience inside of an organization maybe it's multiple people, but like who owns the kind of the end product of, Hey, experience is good or it's miserable. It depends on, the, it depends on the company. You know, I've, I've been at high growth software for um, 12 years and high growth software. It just depends on who they're interacting with. Like at Seismic, you interact with a sales rep. 
You interact with the website. You interact with our chat um, on our website. You potentially could interact with a landing page. You could potentially interact with um, procurement uh, through security. You could you could interact with a bunch of different things. And then once you buy the product, you're interacting with a different set, right? You're interacting with onboarding, services, customer success. And so think about a consumer product, right? Like you walk into a Warby Parker store, you're interacting with a sales rep, you know, a, I'm sure they call it something much cooler than sales rep, but like a, <laughs> like a glasses aficionado. And if you go to the website and chat, you're interacting with a different element. If you call the website mm-hmm. because uh, uh, sunglasses broke or you need a new pair, you're interacting with a different element. So there isn't, there isn't one set individual that, in my opinion, controls all of it. I do think there are situations where you will have in small businesses, the CEO is the one that is the ultimate sayer. Like a great friend of mine owns a concrete cutting company and it's his dad, his dad was running it and he's running it now. And it's all about the CEO's experience with how they interact with their customers. And they, Hmm. they teach their employees about a great experience and treating people right and and all the stuff that that values are so important and culture is so important to a lot of these companies but if you treat your employees right they're going to treat the customer and prospect right as well Hmm. wow so this experience is like on the tip you know kind of something that you can it's everybody's responsibility but everybody's responsibility (laughs) there's a lot it's like an iceberg there's a lot under the kind of and it's almost starting in my mind i'm always someone who uh with strategy diagnosed so is do you find that like important is kind of before you can really improve your experience, you have to just understand like, where are all these touch points? What is, where's the experience at now? Or how do you go about if you come into a company and you're like, I want to improve experience, what are your steps or what are some of those first things that you, the bricks you lay? Well, you need to, you need to figure out what the journey is for sure. But there's also, you can do low hanging fruit as well. Like page load time on the website, contact form, Mm -hmm. like, the the look and feel and the speed at which the page loads and there's a ton of stuff you can do on the web port web website that is i mean software is a little bit easier to talk about because we tend to be a little bit more forward thinking than some of traditional businesses but a great example is a services company where they don't have the address on their website and their phone number isn't clickable on a phone mm-hmm. or even 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 lower level than that your, your website rendering correctly on a mobile device, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's tons, you know, but you got it. You got to understand the journey, right? Like if you're, if you're talking to a plumbing and heating company, or if you're talking to a software company and neither of them have any idea how many mobile users are coming to their website, that's a break of the experience because you have no idea what's happening. You could be, mm-hmm. you could take 15 seconds to load on a phone. And so all the money that you're pumping into Google ads to drive people to a website via a mobile device is lost because Google's not going to rank you very high to begin with. Your ads aren't going to perform and people, your bounce rate's going to be like 95%. Hmm. So a good place to start, as you just said, is a low hanging fruit, the simple, easy changes, things that don't take a ton of time. But then as you kind of understand the journey, you yeah. want to have oh. those more impactful um, points be... Yeah, let me be more prescri- let me be more prescriptive. There's two things that you can do tomorrow. Call your customer and ask them how they got to you. And the second mm-hmm. one is have a have a a form or survey the customer fills out 
that asks them how they found you. Hmm. That's good. That's easy. I've and that's, that. that's yeah. the easiest way. But the easiest way, which all of us should be doing, is talk to the customer. <laughs> Yeah, there's just something, something so hard to, uh, like in, in theory, I've heard, you know, everybody on this podcast has mentioned that and a few have mentioned that second step. Uh, but there is just that kind of gap per se from, Hey, this is a good idea working out, eating healthy to be, I'm going to actually do it. Yeah. Uh, and that always kind of makes me think of like, what are those roadblocks? But that's like a whole different podcast in and of itself. Uh, well, if you think about, if was, you think about like working out and eating healthy, You've got to understand the journey to get to where you want to be from a goal perspective. Like I could run and bike an hour a day, but if I eat 5,000 calories a day, then it's the same, it's the same process. <laughs> it's like you could have an amazing demand gen campaign. If your landing page breaks, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's a lost cause. Mm -hmm. No, that that's definitely, and I feel for marketers, but really everybody just having the awareness of that journey is so critical to to understand where our breaking points are, where are the critical points that we really need to almost triple right. down on the experience because it matters more when someone orders a product and they want to refund it rather than like, oh, our website's flashy and sexy. Okay, cool, but the refund process sucks and that's right. going to make me never buy again. Right. So yeah, definitely definitely get that. So I like to go to a second, very easy question. It's, it's very simple. Everybody gives the same exact prescriptive answer. So I'm excited to hear yours is what is marketing for? Like what is the job? that marketing should get done inside of a company just a definition of marketing could be a simpler way like what is your definition for marketing my definition for marketing yeah like if an alien lands and they're like kyle what do you do i want to know what this thing called marketing is we could use it back on my planet how do i what's the job of it like what is it for um i would say creatively differentiating a product or service to generate revenue. Hmm. And that last part's key, right? Yeah. That last, the revenue part. And I think you're big on that, that marketing marketers need to be either held accountable or they have revenue based goals. Yeah. Can you it, speak more to why you believe in that? Yeah, and, and revenue-based goals, depending, it's very much dependent on the business, right? But for for somebody in enterprise software or even high-velocity software, uh, where the sales cycles are shorter, you you either marketing should have a pipeline-generated number or they should have a revenue-generated number, and that the reason why is because it is very hard for marketing to have a seat at the table if you are not revenue-oriented. And that's where, you know, I, I deep down and what I'm by best at is brand marketing. Um, that's what we talked about earlier, like experiences. Like I will, I'll spend 30 minutes fixated on a billboard, uh, just trying to figure out why the hell they, they did X, Y, or Z, but the, but revenue is what's going to help you do big, big bets and move major rocks on the brand side. So the reason why mm -hmm. I say creatively differentiate is because you have to create the creative component of that is almost at is even more important sometimes in the revenue component, but you have to be doing both. You can, mm -hmm. you can differentiate all, all day long, right? You can say, um, Hey, we hire the best people on stop the vanilla, right? Or we have, we have the, we have the most, um, 
experience in doing X, Y, or Z, or we are the largest platform, or we're the market leader, or whatever, whatever that, like all that stuff. And what truly matters is how you do it creatively because your cust- your competitors can say all that already. Does that make sense? Hmm. So yeah, definitely. that's how you differentiate. Definitely. And then it has to generate revenue or you're not going to be able to do any of the cool stuff that keeps creative people around. Hmm. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And almost that balancing act between some bit of brand marketing and also that performance marketing. Uh, yeah. So right. as someone, I, I'm I'm kind of akin to you in that sense of brand marketing is something content kind of comes very easy. You know, content could be in both categories, but like I would say I'm better at brand marketing. How did you first, like you became aware that, hey, I'm stronger at brand marketing. Like how did you then get better at the other side of it, aka driving revenue rather than just creating kind of cool campaigns with llamas and stuff? Not that that maybe didn't drive any uh, revenue. Yeah, no, I, I think it was, I think it was the V, when I took the VP of marketing role at Wesley, because we were, we were small. Um, you know, they had just raised a series A and maybe 50 something people at the company. We had 10 people on marketing. And in order for us to survive, marketing had to generate revenue because marketing generated 70% of the revenue through organic search. It was high velocity sales, still sales led model, but we were responsible for generating the majority of the revenue. So I had to, to uh, grow into that role and do things that didn't come very naturally to me because the past uh, five years, they had spent it more on the content marketing brand side. So it was, it was taking me out of the exact target was, was large. We IPO'd, we got bought by Salesforce. Salesforce was even larger. So it's still content brand play. There was a pipeline component, but it wasn't a huge driver of the decisions that we made. OpenView is a venture capital firm, very brand oriented. That role was. And then on, on the Lessonly side, it had to be performance. And, and as I learned very, very quickly that if we met a revenue number and we continued to source revenue, I could do things like board games and golden llamas and a user conference and not worried about, not worry about our leadership team or the board saying, well, how, what, how much revenue did that golden llama generate? Because we don't, we have no idea. But I do know that organic search generates 60% of it or whatever. So there's, you gotta, you gotta be able to balance that. So what did you think differently or think the same kind of through this transformation when you became at Lessonly? That's like, what was the kind of things you did differently, believe differently actions like that now you're obviously doing what you said, you're driving kind of revenue performance first, then you can have your time to play quote unquote with the brand marketing. Um, I want, yeah, I think that I don't think I did anything that differently. I just surrounded myself with a team that were better at it than I was. And I did the, and the same thing what we built a content marketing from scratch at exact target. This was like 2011, 2012. Nobody was doing this. And I surrounded myself with people that were good with it. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, it was like, hey, we have these thought leadership pieces. We need to do it for seven countries and five different languages. We should probably figure out how to do this to generate pipe and awareness for the company. Hmm. And that's ultimately what I'm learning at Seismic is that you, 
you have to surround your people yourself with people that you feel like you can coach appropriately, that you can serve appropriately, and is better at the job than you are. Hmm. I love that answer. There's a book called like who, not how, and it's basically about rather than trying to figure out how you should just figure out who uh, can help you and different maybe with companies is you can't just hire someone yourself. But I mean, for you, it seems that you maybe had the team there or you started to realize, hey, these are weak spots of mine yeah. or rather than investing, you know, these courses on all these things, all this time and stuff, why not just hire people or have people around me? Yeah. Uh, and it, and it doesn't have that. to be, uh, I mean, Jordan, you know this, it doesn't have to be a full-time hire. I mean, we, I've, I've used, I've used contractors on the content side, on the design side that are way better mm -hmm. at it than I ever was that really helped scale what we were trying to do it. So that doesn't mean you need to go hire a bunch of specialists, but you have to surround yourself with a community of people that are better at it. And this, mm, yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm a uh, very novice in my business career, but yeah, I, I definitely would uh, also add that as well. So what is, what is something that you disagree with? I don't want to say peers, but other marketers on you see on LinkedIn or you see on these places, people say X and you're just like, they're wrong on it. Like they're just, why don't they get this? Is there anything that comes to mind or are you kind of like an even keel, you know, always kind of meeting people uh, where they're at splitting the difference rather than having these hardcore contrarian thoughts. Towards I, um, it's hard to be, well, it's actually easy for a lot of people to be contrarian on LinkedIn. I, um, Oh man, I, so there's, I mean, if any, if you could, if anybody were to say marketing doesn't need to have a revenue number, then I'd be like, you're crazy. Uh, one that comes up quite a bit, it, which fascinates me is we have this mentality that sales leaders can lead sales and marketing, but marketing leaders can't lead sales and marketing. So if you're, if you're in like a, mm. like a chief revenue officer, as an example, if you're in a board meeting or you're part of a venture capital firm and they're talking about a CRO, somebody to lead sales, marketing, and customer success, they always search for a sales leader. And my opinion is that I would, I would argue that a marketer could be better at the job. Now, everyone disagrees with me. There are very few people. There are very <laughs> few people that agree with me on that. Be, as long as you surround yourself with people that understand what they're doing, right? And um, yeah. that's probably where I would disagree with people the most is that I don't think so, they usually just go to a sales leader to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your reasons? You, uh, you didn't touch those. Like, why do you think a marketer, a CMO, somebody that was a leader in marketing would do better in that CRO seat rather than or opposed to a sales person? I, I think leader. that... And I am going to generalize and I'm sorry. And I apologize to whoever's listening, everybody <laughs> listening that this is a, this is a general statement and not true for everyone. So disclaimer, I believe that marketers have a better ability to measure um, empathy, creativity, and science than salespeople do. And most sales leaders, mm -hmm. if they are, if they're really good, they're very scientific. It's very numbers oriented. It's about headcount capacity. It's about quota attainment. And then secondary, it's kind of like the experience, the experience that like the empathy of the buyer. And that's not all sales. I've met plenty of sales leaders that have both, but it tends to come more naturally to marketers. And I feel like the science part of running a revenue team is easier 
not easy, but easier to learn than the empathy and creative component. Um, and that, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't ran a sales team. We ran the BDR teams reported into marketing and lessonly. And I feel like we did that very well because we balanced that stuff and there was still quota attainment. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I frame it. I don't have the experience to hmm. say that I haven't done that though. So it's just me. It's more of an assumption on my part. Yeah. It's not like a good to great book where you've studied 5,000 no. CROs and you've studied where they came from and you're well, making, if you study CROs, I still think it's though, say sales leaders are the best because nobody thinks about a marketing leader doing it, which I think is crazy. Yeah, no. I, and I think like possibly what you're saying or the underlying premise is just the fact like, for example, cops, there is no like one type of cop, but there are a kind of, you could argue, behavioral kind of style or a way of a human that would draw me into becoming yeah, a sure. cop per se. Now, if my dad's a cop, that's different. And I think the same is true for marketing sales. Like if I'm a, you know, hey, dude, I wake up at 5 a.m. I go get it. Like I'm just nutty. I might be a sales leader because I can have compensation. I, I will say like, that, Jordan, I will there's... say that I, I actually, I don't, um, I don't fully agree with that because we have hired um, amazing sales leaders and sales that didn't, that it, it like, I think that generalizing a, a um, psychological makeup of an individual that would fit really well. Like for example, when everybody says athletes are the best salespeople just because they have a performance oriented or they're competitive. I've, I've met great athletes that are great salespeople. I've also met amazing kindergarten teachers that turned into great sales leaders. And so I, I, as I, the disclaimer at the beginning, I am generalizing, I, you know, and, sure, and the sure. reason why those that, you know, when we hired, we hired quite a few teachers coming out of schools into Lessonly to be services and sales and, support and they were the best at the job because they had one thing that most people didn't empathy and empathy uh, empathy Mm. in business is very important because it goes back to the experience so i could talk all day about why marketing should run sales but it's it's all just my it's all my opinion (laughs) and me being a contrarian no yeah no i mean i appreciate it and just the point that i was maybe trying to get and maybe it's not true is that like i feel uh, i can't back it up by any actual like uh theory per se but i do feel that we're pulled towards things that we can just succeed in or we stay in things yeah. because of the way but that's also if you believe that humans are at all built one way and they kind of change a bit but they're built a certain way rather than some people are like everybody's amber they can do anything they want so that's a kind of conversation or yeah. kind of if you believe one yeah, way or and the I, other. And I think another, I think what would be interesting, there's probably a study out there. I, I believe that you can coach and train an individual to be a great salesperson. I don't believe you can coach and push and train somebody to be a great creative. And I think because I, I just, and I might get just pulverized. I, I just... That doesn't mean coaching and training is not important. I just feel like the a creative element, it's the difference between right brain and left brain. And maybe I'm just talking myself into a yeah, hole, we, but we, I, I have very strong opinions. <laughs> I'm letting you dig it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I think there, there's truth to that. Now, when you say creative or anybody says creative, that's yeah, a very, very large. like large word. Like there could be some writing that like is like really good. And it's like, that was creative. I would argue with writing or with anything like that, 
at least in my field, like I write every day, like I believe you can through repertoire, but I do think like for me to draw beautiful pictures, like it's going to take like possibly two to three lifetimes just to sure. get me at the level so, that some graphic designers So let me, let me, refra- so let agree me with you on that. Then. I do think that it is very dangerous to generalize professions. Um, <laughs> it's just what, what normally happens throughout marketing and sales and what, and what usually, because I, I think that another side of this is, you know, you look at SD, sales development reps within a software company. I've seen multiple examples where they've gone and done field marketing or they've gone and done events or they've gone and done ABM, they've done demand gen, and they haven't necessarily followed that normal track of like sales development rep to account executive to account executive sales manager. So everyone is different. You should follow your own path and you should do whatever the hell you want because we are all very accomplished and creative. (laughs) Oh geez, I love the I love the final kind of note just for all the legal purposes. No, I'm just kidding. No, I agree with you, but I do I do enjoy the contrarian. I'm a I'm a contrarian by nature. I like to poke holes in things. And I think that I mean just I, we won't dive deeper on it just so you don't have to keep giving some sort of a statement. But for me, I'm going to be thinking about this after the podcast because I think it's very fascinating. Of which is easier, quote unquote, to coach? Is there things that sure. transfer over? I mean, sales and marketing per se are very kind of closely aligned. What end result. So I think that's a fascinating, at least maybe leave me uh, rather than any of the listeners, three to four of them with that, because that is a, it's a tough kind of field to go into, but I do think there's and some it, yeah, there's uh, benefits to think about that minimum. The, the best part about this is, um, you know, it, we, we all learn what we want to do, right? Like I taught myself graphic design out of college. I learned marketing. I studied it. It's not like I knew, like I knew from, I, I would argue I knew from early age that I wanted to do something like this, but, you know, we all learn this stuff. So it's not, I think it's very important to note that you can also unlearn things and learn new things as well. Yeah. And that skill is probably actually more important. The relearning, yeah, unlearning to relearn. Absolutely. So- I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want to randomly uh, go there. But so you started your career with graphic design. You founded a company called Brand Swag that changed the name, but I love that name. So I chose that one. And then you got into <laughs> marketing. Like, what's that story? Like, you start as a graphic designer. My wife's a graphic designer. I never see her getting into marketing. Like, how do you start in graphic? You taught yourself it. And then what makes you make the the leap? Or was it like a slow, gradual? No, it wasn't gradual. It was... Uh, I. Uh, my degree is in marketing. So okay. what happened was I, because I'm obsessed with design and I read the uh, emotional branding and it's just something I've always thought about. I, I really wanted to get into music business and we had a, we had a record label on campus at Anderson university where I went to school in Anderson, Indiana. And we had artists that we, we did their albums. We talked about marketing plans and I taught myself graphic design so I could do hmm. album covers and posters and um, different marketing campaigns for these artists. Sure. And so when I graduated, I couldn't get a job <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. I barely sure. graduated college. I had to go. I had to go a fifth year just to get my GPA above a 2.0. So barely graduated college, <laughs> got out there in the market and uh I could like I did two or three job interviews and I got a I got my first job doing graphic design at a very, very small marketing agency called Roundpeg. And she mentored me. And after like a year and a half, she allowed me to start my agency in her in her um, 
building and graphic design was just something that I enjoyed. So I just started doing it. So what mm. happened was I was doing graphic design. We were doing logos, websites, and we started getting into social because at the time, MySpace, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, they were all like, nobody had any idea what to do with them. And I was 24 at the time. So I said, hey, I mean, I feel like people are listening to me when I talk about it, So I'm just going to start talking about it. And so we did. <laughs> um, there's, this does have an ending into, into not what I do now, but uh, we did training camps, basically. So I would, there would be 20 or 30 people would pay for a six-week course on how to use all these social channels. And in one of the training camps was the neighbor of a Wiley, uh, Wiley publishing editor. And they were at a party together over a weekend, I guess. And the editor was complaining about how she couldn't find somebody to write a Twitter book. And this person who was at the party said, hey, I'm actually in a class of this guy in Indy that's doing this. And that's how I got Twitter marketing for dummies. And I wrote that. And then I wrote Branding Yourself and then wrote Social Syrup for Dummies. And because of that Twitter marketing book, we Exact Target was a customer of ours and we were doing training for Exact Target. And when the business failed, because I was 26 and a complete idiot, and I drove it in the ground, that's how I got into Exact Target to do market, basically content marketing, thought leadership, that type of stuff. Mm. So there's always been a marketing angle. There was the there was the blip of an entrepreneurship angle there for five years, but uh, I was definitely young and stupid and didn't know <laughs> didn't know how to run a business. Honestly, sure. So that's the sure. long that's the long version of your question. No, I appreciate that full backstory. I hope that, uh, I don't know if you share, I've never heard that from any interview. Oh, I've shared it. Yeah, I've shared it. Okay. It's a, okay, it's, good. It's a deep one and brand swag. <laughs> um, I very much love that name. So thank you. Yeah, for that's it a great name. Yeah. It made me think. So I, I had a question from those books. Like the last one you wrote was in 2012 called social CRM for dummies and social CRM never became anything as you know, yeah. in your LinkedIn. Um, so like, why stop like this, you know, everybody's pushing out books, books like Catholic, you know, mothers, like why babies, like, why'd you stop? Like, why, why was that the last book you ever wrote? Like, I feel like I would need to put one more out. That's more of like a universal, like I'm, I'm Kyle Lacey. Like this is my story rather than social CRM for dummies. I, no offense. No, I know. I, so what I, Twitter marketing for dummies and branding yourself was more of a personal brand play. And really helped me from a career perspective, for sure. Social CRM, as I know, in LinkedIn was, we thought it would be something and it wasn't. And we maybe sold 10 books and five of them were me. Um, <laughs> so after that, I haven't, I haven't come across a, like, Branding Yourself is, I think we're going to about, there might be the fourth edition coming out here shortly. Wow. And it's still, it's published in Korean and German and French. Um Spanish. Uh, so that, that book is still, we're still selling that book today. Um, wow. I haven't found a topic that I am passionate enough about to write a book. Hmm. I don't, I think that there's a combination of all my, I'm just, I'm better at short, concise pieces yeah. of content. And I'm sure that if I were to, gather all of my LinkedIn posts and try to organize them that I could come up with like 
365 days of leadership or some some stupid idea but i just haven't <laughs> i haven't come across a a topic that drives me to want to write something again mm -hmm. i've had i've had other book ideas like writing a children's book and stuff like that but it's not it's not anything that's that's driving me to do it Hmm. Do you think there's in this, you can just say no to it, but it's just a thought that popped into my mind is you're at a point now where you can't write, um, quote unquote, a shitty book. Like, like I can go out and write a book and like, I may say things and nobody's going to check me or care much. You're at a very different point in your career, your life where you're not on a pedestal. You're not, you know, the huge, but you are big enough where like, do you think that plays at all? Of like, if I'm going to write a book, it needs to be good enough where at my no. career point, like, I'm not just going to write a book to write it. Okay. No, I, I don't. There's not I like don't. a sunk cost of. It's more, it's more about where, where do I get the most energy and where do I, where mm -hmm. do I drive the most value? Um, and there's, there, you know, there's a, you, a book, a book helps with a lot of things. And it's something that I'm proud to say that I've published three, like that's, that's something that not a lot of people can say. Um, but in terms of what drives, like I, I enjoy this type of conversation. I enjoy um, thinking through uh, problems and challenges that a small business might have more than I would sitting in front of a computer trying to figure out how to write a book, right? Sure. So, sure. I but, and that. I don't care that much about, you can read my LinkedIn posts. Like I, it's, it's not a, Hey, what will people think about this component? Like, I don't really, it's not a thought really. Hmm. That's good. I feel, um, that's like something I don't worry about, but think about, right. As the further sure. I get and I have more people, companies to my name, uh, it matters if I drop the F bomb just randomly. Now it doesn't really matter, but you get kind of yeah, like but it, what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's owning who you are and the values you represent. Like I commented, mm -hmm. I, a good friend of mine is CMO of, a, of a, one of the faster growing software companies right now. And she made the comment that she curses constantly and she owns it. And I love her for that. And I, and I, love, I love that she does that. And she is secure with who she is and how she approaches life. And if you don't mm -hmm. like it, fine, you don't like it. And that's, F I think there, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I think that there's, <laughs> I am not as, uh, uh, I don't draw the line like that necessarily, but there is value in her saying that there's value in her being a contrarian. Like there's value in her being herself and different because, you know, it's, 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 it's more meaningful in my opinion. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. But I do think some people, Gary Vaynerchuk, could settle down on the cussing in front of certain people. <laughs> but that's, but, yeah, but no, no, but that's the point. It's it's who it's he him. is. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. And he's <laughs> never changed me far away. And, that, and the fact, he's a great example. And Andrea Kayall, who's CMO at Electric, is a great example as well. They have never had to change it in order for them to be happy and successful. And if you have to do that, to feel that way, fine. But, you know, there are some people, and I, I, I'd like to include myself in some of that where, um, you know, people will, people will make up their own opinions of you no matter what you do. You don't have any control over that. And, and mm -hmm. it's about what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled. Um, how do you live 
the most meaningful existence that you possibly can. And if that means you drop the F-bomb on a podcast, fine. Fine. Now, I know there's people <laughs> that disagree with me, but that's fine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, Kyle, I think you forgot you're on the marketing, not a podcast on life, but those are some good life lessons. <laughs> marketing I love it. is life. I love it. There you go. True. Everything is marketing. All right. Final three questions. Uh, we're getting towards that point of the show. So I'm going to ask you three questions, two on marketing business, one not, and then we'll jump into a point where you can kind of share anything you're up to LinkedIn or where uh, the three to four listeners uh, can find you. All right. First question. What is one thing you've changed your mind on in the past one, two, three, four years in regards to marketing. So for me, I used to, you know, eat Gary Vaynerchuk's a hundred piece of content a day model. And now I'm at a point where I realize that is correct for about 2% of all companies. So what have you changed your mind on in regards to marketing and business that you believe something different, or maybe even you believe something three times harder now because of the time and experience? Does anything come to your mind? Um, I'm going to credit Dave Gerhardt for this and I, I, uh, hope it doesn't go to his head, but he made a comment to me one time and he has a great book out right now, by the way. Um, he made a comment to me one time where he will start reading a book and immediately put it down if he doesn't feel like he's getting anything out of it. And I have always struggled with that. I have always kind of like not felt a book initially and put it aside and it's taken me like a year to read it. And finally I finish it and I'm like, great. The same thing apply. And then I've kind of applied that mentality to, um, to podcasting, to content development. Like I had a podcast called revenue diaries and I did it for a year and I stopped because it wasn't fulfilling anymore. I got to, I got what I wanted out of it. And, it, and I did 60 interviews and it's done. Past me would have said, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep grinding. You have to keep pushing stuff out. Present me is, hmm. you know what? If I'm not growing through it, then I, and I'm unfulfilled, I'm not going to keep doing it. And that's, hmm. and that applies to a lot of things. Like that can apply to tactics. It can apply to uh, messaging. It can, and uh, particularly to marketing, there's one more, which is I, I used to not put, too much value into product marketing where i i didn't really invest in it at lessonly it's not something that i talked about that regularly and i learned pretty quickly at lessonly and even at seismic now is that product marketing is crucial to any high growth software company and that's something that i've changed as well which is um because i because i'm um i don't have the experience in it it's harder for me to understand but it's crucial to business. So it's, you don't have to keep grinding if you don't feel it, no matter what you're doing, no matter what the, you know, it's up to you. And you kind of, you kind of uh, said that about Gary, right? And then, which he would still disagree with, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> and then it's, you know, product marketing is crucial to the success of yeah. a software company. Hmm. Those are good. Yeah. I struggle with the book one as well. I want to give every book like all humans a yeah. chance, but some just don't deserve nope. that uh, chance. Exactly. <laughs> so second question, second question, there's a movie called Inception, whether you watch or not, it's all about these people going in each other's yep. dreams and incepting ideas. So then they wake up and they're like, Oh, my idea is to sell my company or whatever. So if I gave you the ability to go in the minds of every marketer on this planet and incept one idea in their mind, so they wake up tomorrow and whatever idea belief you incept, they act out as if it's their own and the world then changes because of that. 
what is your one idea that you accept? To think like a customer. I mean, it's all experience. Like we've talked about it from the very beginning. The, uh, it's about the, it's all about the experience. Like your customer is your best salesperson and you can't have great customers unless you have great experiences. Which I would argue could be synonymous with empathy. Uh, I think like your customer puts yourself in their shoes. I love that. I love that. That would be a very cool uh, world within marketing if everybody applied that. So final question is what is one thing outside of business and marketing that you do that when you come back to do business and marketing, you can do it better? So for me, it's every morning I meditate for 15 minutes. And when I go to work, then I'm just better because of it. What is that for you? Uh, Exercising. I run or bike. I'm Peloton user. You could hire Lacey <laughs> on Peloton. It's my name, which probably isn't safe. Find him. Uh, no, I, I run <laughs> and bike every morning. So I, I'm, wow. I'm at least cardio between 45 minutes and an hour a day, five days a week. That's really that, And that helps you just perform better. It helps me. Clearer. It helps me think. It helps me get out of my head. Um, keeps me healthy. I, I, I know, um, you know, I wish I didn't like IPAs as much as I did because it helps me on the IPA front, <laughs> uh, but no, it, it helps me clear my mind for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then you can have one or two extra IPAs that night for sure. I feel you. Well, thank you, Kyle. I, this is the last point, part of the segment where you can kind of plug anything, whether it's anything going on at Seismic, anything you're linked in, anything you plug here, I'll put into the show notes for our three to four listeners. Still yeah, I mean, us. we seismic.com, uh, we, you know, from an enablement standpoint, if you have sales teams that you need uh, content management, buyer engagement, training and coaching, um, or the platform for it. And then my, you know, LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash IN slash Kyle Lacey. You probably, I probably don't need to say that. <laughs> and then Twitter. So no, LinkedIn's a little bit more professional. Twitter's a little bit more personal. Hmm. Okay. Wow. That's cool. I, I've been hearing a lot about, um, well, a lot of the people I interview have that kind of duality going. They got LinkedIn yeah. and Twitter. I've yet to jump in the Twitter love it. world. Uh, I love it. I've been on it. Oh, uh, uh, let's just check real fast before we sign off here. <laughs> I have been on Twitter. You and Jack Dorsey were a time. No, not quite. When did I join? January, 2008. <laughs> wow. A long time. That. Yeah, I was like 13 at that time, but all right. So we'll move forward. Not to date you at all. Sorry, Kyle. That How was, old was that? I? Was correct 2008. Uh, <laughs> I think I was 20, 22, maybe, give or take. Wow. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. Well, thank you, Kyle, for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. And uh, the wisdom you shared with me is definitely going to change my career and my life. Yeah. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. That. Thank you for having me. And this is the end of the podcast.